Aloha kakayaka. Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark chapter 9. Turn, your gospel, turn the Bibles, and if you don't have your Bibles, I would encourage you to use your Bibles, to, to have your Bibles here. It's impossible to know God apart from Scripture. Uh, we believe that though our lives will end, God's Word will never end. Um, since the beginning of the canonization of Scripture, when the Old Testament and the New Testament were formed together, uh, uh, 200 years after the death of Christ, uh, we believe the only way God speaks to us today is by His Spirit through His Word. We don't believe at Ohana Church that God gives new revelations apart from His Word. Um, if there is any revelation given to you through dreams and through signs and wonders, the way we articulate the gospel and that understanding is that it has to be in accordance with his word. We don't believe there's a new Messiah to come. Amen. We don't believe that there needs to be fancy visions and dreams that has already been fulfilled through the Messiah Jesus. We, we believe the word is fulfilled through Christ Alone, And so, as you turn to your text today, we're continuing through our verse-by-verse study, study through the Gospel of Mark, and you may not understand, but we are an expository preaching church, meaning we preach through books of the Bible verse-by-verse. That doesn't mean that we'll take some lessons and we'll do some topical messages, but we believe one of the ways we honor Christ, one of the ways we honor the Lord is by holding Scripture to a high position in our lives. We believe Scripture is breathed out by God. Therefore, one of the ways we honor Christ with Scripture is not jumping around in topics to make us feel better about ourselves, right? But we're going faithfully through books of the Bible, verse by verse, understanding both context, literature, grammar, analysts of historical settings. And so I want to be very clear that this is a Bible-preaching church. We hold God's Scripture to its highest form in this text. We, we express it through the preaching of the Word. We express it through the singing of the Word. We express it through the prayer of the Word. We express it through evangelism in the community we express it, it's expressed in different ways, but ultimately it all comes from God's written word that reveals his living word. So this is what I want us to do. I want us to think about the most valuable thing in your life. Now, this is what I'm not saying. I am not saying that you get all pseudo-spiritual on me right now, okay? All right, I am saying what is the most valuable thing in your life? And so the way we the way we're going to participate this morning is simply saying, right, what our energies and our attention and our affection is geared into. Does that make sense? So think about your whole day, your whole week. What, what is the most passionate thing? Like, oh, this gives you fulfillment, right? Again, you don't have to be pseudo-spiritual this morning, right? We can all say Jesus all day long. I get your heart. All you guys are saints of God. But like, what is the one thing that just fires you up that you're passionate about? Right there. One, two, three. Hulu. Somebody said Hulu or Hula? Hulu. I love Hulu. Go ahead, give the Lord a clap of hand for Hulu, right? 
I thought you said Ulu on this side, you know? Praise God, I love Ulu, right? Right, right. There is, a, like, if we look at our life, we would say this is what we're passionate about. But if we look at our time, our energy, and our resources, those three things tells us what we're passionate about. And I want to I wanna be very clear this morning, not to push condemnation on you, but to go back to Scripture, right? I saw this statement, and I thought it was true, the blog. It says this, this generation will give everything, will give church up for everything else. But really, we're calling people to give everything up for church. Now, now we believe the authority is not the church. We believe the authority is Scripture. But that's where church is, 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 is the platform in which Scripture is articulated. Are you, are you making sense? Now, now, I'm not saying Sunday gatherings alone. I'm talking the people of God who've been bought, bought by the blood of Jesus, and they share a same in common, is that we're wretched people in need of God's grace today, amen? And so, as we look at our text today, right, I want us to see God's beauty in what I'm calling today from the mountain to the valley. Listen to me. Today, we're going to talk about some serious things, and we're going to look at through the lens of Jesus how he addressed the mountain to the valley. We learned last week from a mountaintop experience, from the transfiguration of Jesus, and now we see a new setting where Jesus comes off the mountaintop with his followers, and he's back in the valley. And I would say, being one of your kahus here, that there's a lot of you that are in the valley today. Can I get a witness, right? Not, not just physically, right, in the pit, but spiritually. There's some things going on in your lives that needs articulation of the gospel, and you came to the perfect place to hear the truth of how we address these valley issues. Stand with me in the reading of God's word if you don't have it. It's up on the screen. Just be ready. We may not have words on the screen in a few weeks, all right? It says there, as we continue on to chapter 9 of the gospel of Mark, Starting in verse 14, from the, trans, from the Mount of Transfiguration, it says this on Mount, from Mount Hermon. In verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples, this is Jesus, John, Peter, they said they saw a great, great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw Jesus, were greatly, say that A word, amazed, amazed and ran up. To Jesus and greeted Jesus. And Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him what? Mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were what? Not able. Think about that. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I thought it interesting that God asked a question, not expecting an answer. Those words, right? He asked two questions, and his response was, bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him immediately, 
it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at his mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to your son? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who what? Believes immediately. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I want you to feel that. Verse 25, and when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never and never and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, hallelujah. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. <sighs> but, right? Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast this demon out, God? And Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? God, we love you. And we come to you in holy matrimony of your scriptures, of your spirit, of your word, God. Would you make yourself clear to us? May we not just go through expectations this morning of what we think church service should look like right now. But may we be guided by your word today. May we be gifted by your word today. May we hold your word up high today. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, be glorified. God's Ohana says, Amen. You may be seated. Can you believe that almost a month and a half from now, we're going to celebrate six years of God planting Ohana Church right here on the big island of Hawaii. Amen. And you know what? I want to be very clear that planting a church is a lot like a marriage. Let me say that again. Planting a church is a lot like a marriage. Like the beginning years of church planting. Ono. I mean, so ono, right? People are excited about the new things, right? People are excited that there's a new church started in the downtown area of Hilo, right? And... um all the money that you can think of is starting to roll in slowly, but surely churches are excited about new churches, and new churches are excited about additional new churches, and man, it's like the honeymoon, right? The honeymoon we always wanted, yes. I know everybody would say, we get to go to Hawaii, you know, we're going to say opposite. We get to go to the mainland, right? Like, the, like we're excited. That, that That's what church planning was like. like it's like a marriage. But you give them two or three years, some things start to show up, right? 
I never noticed about him. I mean, we did the counseling already, right? We did the premarital counseling. I didn't know this. I mean, and for some of you who've been married longer, 25 years, 30 years down the road, you're still learning new stuff that aggravates you. Amen? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's the truth, right? Like, three years, honeymoon over, honey. You know, life hits you right in the eyes. Feelings of people are affected. Life punches you right in the mouth. You don't even know if you made the right decision, if you married the right fool or not. <laughs> same like the church. I don't even know if I joined the same church this morning that I joined six years ago. I don't know if I'm pastoring the same church that I said I would pastor six years ago, right? We see marriage in the building of the church. And I'm confident of this. This is what, what I hold on to, right? Jesus. Jesus continues to speak boldly to us sinners. He, he, we realize in this text that Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain of Hermon, but thank God he comes down to the people in the valley. And I want you to hear this. Is there anything that my wife and I, the McBee, some of us who have been here from the beginning of our plan, here's one thing we've learned about the gospel. Our times of hearing and learning from the Lord has often not been on the mountaintop, but rather down in the valley. Let me say that again, right? Our times of hearing from the Lord, learning from the Lord, seeing the Lord move has often been not of what we've experienced on the mountain, but rather down in the valley. In fact, when you get to a mountain peak, all you see is the valley, but you can't experience the valley. And you know what? Something that's different about the mountaintop, that the valley that you can experience, is that God promises us Though the valley may be rough, someday, as we learned last week, we will experience the mountaintop with Jesus forever. This has really been the story of Ohana Church. And for many of us, right, there really are only two ways we can respond to this reality truth. Number one, we either grow deeper in our dependency on Jesus or we grow deeper in our dependency on ourselves. And today there is a crossroads. There's a crossroads on how we react in the valley because it is in the valley that you'll see pain. It's in the valley that you'll see suffering. It's in the valley you will see backstabbing, not just you experiencing someone backstabbing you, but you will backstab other people too. This life is not just about you, right? And that's the reality. The valley provides pain and suffering and hurt. And Jesus came to give us understanding of this pain. And so I want you to see four realities that are going on in the valley. Really four events. So the first event, right, in our verses, we see there is a commotion. In verse 14, when Jesus and John and Peter came down from the mountain, they saw a great crowd. 
around them and scribes arguing with them. If there is anything we have learned in the valley, there will always be commotion. Can I get a glory in here, right? There will always be commotion. If you expect to have a perfect day today and you live in the valley, aole, you will have hardship today in all kinds of forms. Our verse explains that there, are, there was a commotion going on with a certain people group. That people group in verse 14 is scribes. And if there's anything we learn about scribes, we know that scribes were one of the religious sect of Jerusalem. There were the Pharisees, there was the Sadducees, and there were the scribes. These three sects, sectors provided one thing in the valley. You ready? Commotion. These were the Dramalani people of the day. If you didn't do it their way, hit the jack. I hit the road, jack. Or hit the jack, whatever, right? And that's the reality, right? Jews were oppressed by these religious leaders. And here's the thing about commotion. You ready? Jesus always brought peace. Let me say that again. Here's the deal about commotion. Jesus always brought peace. How do we know that? Look at verse 15. Read on. Again, we're an expository preaching church, right? This is not my opinions. This is what the verse says. It says, and immediately, I love Mark because Mark uses that word. Like Mark is the kind of brother you want to hang around with. You know why? Mark's not going to beat around the bush. He's going to get right to the point. It says, and he uses the word immediately. And immediately in verse 15, all the crowd, when this commotion was going on with these religious sect of, of us, us, the the um, scribes, they saw Jesus. Look at their response during this commotion. They were greatly amazed when they saw Jesus and they ran up to Jesus and greeted him. Isn't this true? That in the valley where there is commotion, Jesus brings peace in our sufferings. Look at this biblical truth, right? Jesus brings comfort in our uncomfortable situation. Say this if you believe with me. One, two, three. Jesus brings comfort in our uncomfortable situations. I mean, this is true today. How many of you have been changed because of Jesus? Can I get a witness, right? Right. This change, this change outweighs the, co- the commotion that, it go- that we go through. The power of Jesus, like the crowd, they were greatly amazed by the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus does what people know he could, the, the people know that only he could do. He addresses the commotion, and by addressing it, he gives us peace. Are you with me? Right? Craig Rochelle says this about people who, who are like world changers. He says, anyone can point out a problem, but a leader does something about it. I want you to meditate that. Every one of you have a leader influence in your life, or you as a leader, you're a parent. You're a co-worker. You're a leader in the, whatever. Everyone holds some kind of leader ownership in their life. And if you do, read these words out with me. One, two, three. Anyone can point out a problem. Stop right there. The easiest thing to do for all of us, we can point out problems all day long, right? But listen to me. If you're just a problem person, all right, your life, hear me out, will suck. All right? So tell your neighbor, neighbor, don't suck. Tell your other neighbor, neighbor, don't suck. 
Listen to me. Look at this. Hey, I know. Ohana Church, we can say that. Glory to God. Anyone can point out problems, but a leader, a good one like Jesus, right, does something about it. Jesus did not say, I keep to myself and just let them take care of their, their, their commotion. Jesus stepped into the commotion, and Jesus was a problem solver. Can I be honest with you? I absolutely hate math. (laughs) Thank you for your transparency. I absolutely hate math. And now the boys are starting to get into fractions and all this high division stuff. And Jesus, help me. Right? And all I can focus on is the problem. But apart from true understanding, I will always be the problem, right? Like, my boy's daddy, can you help me? Man, I can't help you. There's going to be commotion going on right now, right? So glory to God that I married a smart, holy woman. Hallelujah, right? 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 Not for what she brings to the table, but for who she is, all right, in Jesus. But, but, but they're like... Like, I can't stand that. And I don't know what about you. I don't know what comes to mind when it comes to problem. But listen to me. Jesus, right? Jesus brings peace to commotion. So here, here's some things we need to acknowledge. In verse 16, Jesus describes the greatest leader trait in what we can learn. Verse 16 said, and he asked him, what are you arguing about with them? Now, understanding the lordship of Jesus, right? We're looking at the humanity of Jesus right here. We're not looking at the Lord, the deity of Jesus. We're looking at his humanity. But at the same time, Jesus is really asking a rhetorical question. He, he's not, like the way Jesus responded to people, he didn't automatically give answers. He actually gave questions. And open-ended questions, because you're going to see that when God, when Jesus gave open-ended questions, he allowed the participant to participate in his healing power, right? I want you to see God's goodness in this, right? Look at the question alone. The question alone begins the process of what we call mercy ministries. Jesus displays, displays mercy on the commotion by speaking into it with a question. And then look at this. This is what it leads to our second event of the valley. Number two, there is a concern, in verse 17, someone boldly speaks up. Listen to me. Now, he didn't speak up because he decided to speak up. He spoke up because Jesus allowed him to have a conversation with him. I want you to see this truth, all right? Because in a lot of theology, they would say, oh, yeah, that guy just spoke up for the sake of... No, Jesus asked the question. Read the text. Jesus was involved in it. In the verse 17, it says, And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. This is the commotion that the scribes and the disciples were having in this great crowd. That this demonic boy is causing havoc in this community. We have another demonic case. Jesus is not surprised by the demonic case. We see it all through Matthew, a couple of accounts of how Jesus addressed demonic possession. But it brought great concern for this man because this person that had the demonic possession was his precious son. The one he birthed, the one he grew, the one he invested, the one his cocoa is his cocoa. They share the same blood and any, any, any great, loving parent will have a concern. Amen? So the demon's control over him revolved in this manifestation. Number one, the demon made the son mute. 
We see that in verse 17, verse 18. The demon physically abused the son. He threw the boy down on the ground. He threw the boy on fire. He threw the boy in the water, trying to suffocate him and trying to burn him. Outbursts of foaming came out of this young man's mouth. Outbursts of grinding his teeth, gnashing his teeth came out. This demon would be the reason for the commotion going on. And since, listen to me, since the scribes, listen to me, since the scribes, all right, are not Jesus, all they can think of is what, was, what the father is probably doing wrong for the boy. That, that's what's going on. What's going on in this text is a beautiful picture of God's grace and God's mercy being fleshed out through the life of Jesus. So in verse 18, he explains that Jesus' disciples were unable to help. I want you to remember that. And I want you to see how Jesus responds to everyone because he responds to them by asking them questions again. Verse 19, here's the question. He says, oh, faithful generation, how long am I to be with you? Second question, how long am I to bear with you? Again, Jesus keeps moving on. These were questions of evaluations of their relationship with Christ. I believe Jesus is not just talking to his disciples, but he's talking about this crowd. Jesus has been doing signs and wonders for two and a half years, and Jesus is telling them, how much longer must I show you and prove to you that I am the king of the universe? How much longer? And in his grace, right, it gave a moment of reflection and consideration for all of us this morning. How much longer as Christians should we hear and see Jesus in the valley move and still be like a dog and go back to our own vomit? How much longer? And Jesus, the son of God, looking at this son of a man. In verse 20 says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, what spirit? The Holy Spirit? No, the demon. When the demon saw Jesus. Immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and wrote about foaming at the mouth. James 2.19 says this, that even the demons believe and tremble at God. When the demons saw Jesus in the flesh, he knew who he was. Listen to me. The devil know who Jesus is. When your kids go to school, when you go to work, when you, the devil is not fooled, man. The devil was once followers of Jesus. Are you with me? And the devil's role is to convince every one of us that Jesus is not God. But when the demonic spirit sees Jesus in the flesh, there's only one way the demon can respond when God is in front of him with fear and trembling, knowing that this father and son has access to Jesus for eternity, but this devil will never have access to Jesus in eternity again. This should make you feel important. Important in the sense that, number one, I am undeserving of God's grace, deserving of his wrath, but important that God would desire to want to know me, a sinner, 
separated from him because of my sin, but because of his grace and mercy, God speaks into this commotion, this concern. And what happens in the valley is a third event. Number three, there is a need for compassion. In verse 21, 22, Jesus said, asked the father, how long has this been happening to your son? And the father said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, you ready? Have compassion on us and help us. I think this is the greatest response that anybody could respond to the gospel because it wasn't a response for compassion for the father or just for the son, but it was a a response for compassion for us. Plurality. That is the gospel. The gospel that saves us is not the gospel that stores us. The gospel that saves us is the same gospel that shares us with the world. If the gospel has truly rescued you and saved you and stripped you out of the dominion of darkness and placed in the everlasting light of Jesus Christ, then you cannot help but ask God for compassion for all of us. Are you with me? If the gospel is just about damnation, which I love that part of the gospel. I love, like for real, like, like, like in my righteous pseudo-spiritual anger, sometimes I feel like I'm too righteous, right? Is a heck yeah, send that person to hell, Lord. Like, like we, you guys all laugh because you know you're the same person, all right? Right, like I, I see it all through social media, right? Like, like even pastors, you know, like, like we're talking about this sex trafficking that's going on that is horrible, that is evil, that is demonic. And we're hearing pastors, listen to me, saying, well, I hope those traffickers go straight to hell. And I get it. I, I get it. I understand that. But listen to me. Those traffickers is no different from your heart. You are a trafficker in your own heart. You reject God every day. And we could go through a line of lift of morality. And what does not line up? your life with Christ. But in all reality, we need to be just like the daddy, that it wasn't just him alone or the son alone to have compassion. But I really feel in this response, it was like, we all, y'all need compassion this morning. We need compassion. Thank God that I had some holy brothers from the South that never give up on this kanaka in my rottenness to them. But they faithfully had compassion on me because they had the same compassion in these verses. And Jesus responds with this compassion. Jesus answers this father. He says, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Now, I want you to hear the truth. The gospel is incomplete this morning without a response from you. Mark illustrates that for us in this text. We believe at Ohana Church that God completely does 100% of the work of salvation in all believers. It's not a 50-50. It's not a 90-10 breakdown. Listen to me. We're not the church that said, if you want to be saved today, all you have to do is fill in the blank. Listen to me. You cannot know you want to be saved apart from the one who gives salvation. He does 100% of salvation. Even how we respond to him is God's gift and grace to us. God is still 100% the worker of salvation. One cannot believe apart from Jesus. And because of Christ, look at the response of this man. Let me say that again. Because of Jesus, look at how this man responds to the gospel. Verse 24. 
immediately. I love Brother Mark. I love you. These, these meetings I have with some people should look like Mark's meeting with us today, right? Immediate, right to the point. The father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Those are two big truths, right? In the idea of receiving belief, a belief system, there's a lot of churches that believe what you accept, but few of them will actually believe and say what they deny. So what I'm saying, like, like it's easy to, to accept Jesus because Jesus gives us love. Jesus gives us uh, feel-good, googly, bubbly feelings, right? And it's like, it's easy to give that, but there is a denial in what we believe. We deny that any other person can save us like Jesus can. And we got to be specific like that. If anyone teaches another gospel, Paul says, let him be a curse. And Jesus, look at that. Jesus lavishes his compassion on his father and son. Verse 25 says that when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to a you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead, but listen to these words, but listen to this word, but listen to these words. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up in the valley, and he arose. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like the resurrection that will come. This, this miracle was a picture of the real answer of the risen king. This picture is not completely just about an earthly father and an earthly son. This picture is about a heavenly father and a heavenly son. Are you with me today, right? Now, not because I'm getting loud, but, but you hear the words of the scripture, right? It's about heavenly father and a heavenly son. The son who is tormented by the sins of the world, who gives up his life for the sins of the world. And his holy father is, is, is giving everything to his son, all that he can do. But in a different way, this father is not asking for help. This father is saying, the help is the son. Are you with me? That's what the scripture is about. And his father is saying, no, he has to go. Th- he has to be burned. He has to drown. He has to go in the dirt. He has to take the nails on his hands. and He has to do this so that what? So that earthly fathers and sons could experience the redemption power of my perfect son. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus today. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see a need for compassion. And God, in his sovereign grace, gives to you and me what we do not deserve. His precious one and only son. The KJV says he's begotten. His only son. And we get to come today and see Jesus lifted up in the valley this morning. That's the gospel we preach. Listen to me. Nothing you did could save us from our sin. Only this God-man, this Son of God, Jesus, Jesus. If there is anything we learn from life in the valley, it's that Jesus shows up and shows out. That's what he does. When your kid's acting up Sunday morning, Jesus shows up and shows up, right? Shows out and shows up. When your parents... Kids, right? You know, parents, you're not perfect over here, all right? 
When your parents act up, guess what? Jesus shows up and he shows out. When your cow is not all there and pupuli, thank God that in his pupuliness, that's not even a word, but take it anyway, right? That God shows up and shows out. You see why we need to sacrifice everything for the church? Because I promise you, nobody preaching gospel like this in your football clubs and your baseball clubs and all this. We need to fight for that, this generation. We need to fight to belong together, not to attend together, but to belong together. Because here's the last, pro- the last event of the valley. Number four, there is a need for clarity. After healing, just, uh, just and his disciples having, a, we see Jesus having a debriefing time with his disciples. Look at verse 28. They're about to talk story. Now, I don't know about you guys, but our alakai meets every Sunday after, like right now, after this service, our alakai, the elders of our church are going to meet, and we're going to talk. We're going to have a debriefing moment together about our spiritual walk together, individually and together. This is what's happening. Mountaintop experience, transfiguration, Mount Hermon last week, today in the valley, son and father experiencing compassion in the crowd. And now they're going to a house to have some debriefing time. Verse 28 says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, here's some strong words, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but what? Prayer. The most darkest moments in my life, listen to me, the most darkest moments in my life has been moments when I, all I had was prayer. I'm sure this is true for many of us here this morning that, that we get to walk with Christ today, but, but sometimes we, we can fake this walk. We can just show up because I'm trying to impress a girl, or we can show up because I'm trying to impress somebody here, or we show up because my mom made me come, whatever the case is, but the reality is we are this, we are this demonic, son, and this broken father, one of the twos, and Jesus shows up and comforts us and gives clarity to us. Jesus amplifies the answer for our life today, Christian. It's prayer, not transitional prayers at dinner time, not transitional prayers dropping the kids off, but honest, deep-rooted prayer. How, how is this lived out in the life of a father whose son was demonically possessed. It may not have looked like it, but it was. The father actually prayed to Jesus face to face by just asking God. And the word for prayer is the word cry out. That's the illustrated word for prayer. We believe Ohana Church has been birthed from prayer. We believe that prayer is the work, then God works. As I was driving around town, I got to stop by our old prayer pad at Heleon Bus Stop, Mohoyao Bandstand. And for a year and a half, you guys know in the early years, we just prayed for one year and a half that God would show up <laughs> and he would show out. And he did. He did. Uh, there's so much things that 
stories I could share with you that some of you who wasn't with us from the beginning, that you are in answered prayer because of those prayer moments. In fact, Lane and I have committed to finish our, our, biogra- our biography of this prayer event that took on the last six years of our church planting story. And, and, and this is what hits me today, and it's up on the screen. It's by a prayer warrior named E.M. Bounds. Ian Bounds says this, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not, uh, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men of prayer. I pray that witness to you today. He does not anoint plans, but man of prayer. Don't we say it in our prayers, but God, would you just bless the work? God, would you just bless this event? God, would you just bless this service? No, God, would you anoint us through your word, the preaching of your word. So as he comes up, the question really is this, right? How should we respond then? These, these events in the valley that brings some hardship. How should we respond today? Well, Jesus says it. Let's pray.